Good morning, Crosswalk. Good to be up here with you today. So um, I think uh, I want to make sure we have that QR code still up here. Are we able to get that? I haven't touched anything. I haven't touched anything. I haven't touched the clicker. Is it there? Awesome. I want to uh, uh, encourage you. Um, I created a, being pastor of discipleship, I created a survey uh, for our CrossFit, uh, Crosswalk. I haven't done CrossFit in a long time, can you tell? Uh, our Crosswalk community, um, just so I can like, understand like, how I can serve this, this community the best I can. And so I would love it if you uh, took a shot of that QR code and took the survey. Uh, you can share your information as far as name and all that, or it can be completely anonymous. And if you're online watching as well, we'd love for you to participate. We want to serve all of our communities, so it'll be in person, it'll be hybrid, be virtual, and so forth. We're already getting a lot of feedback, which has just been wonderful. It went out in the newsletter on Thursday, uh, that's, so we started getting some feedback. And so now this is our first uh, Saturday doing this. Um, and we'll do it for a couple of weeks, but this will be really helpful as we look to launch things come January 1. So appreciate that uh, as well. Um, so I'm getting used to the clicker today. I learned in first service it has like a three-second delay. So I'd be reading a scripture and then like, wait for it. <laughs> All right, wait for it. There we go. Um, so this is kind of how the timeline went down. Uh, Tim and Ron, which we want to keep them in our prayers because they are in Jakarta right now. Uh, isn't that great? Yeah, it's wonderful what God is doing. So they're over there. Uh, they flew out. I think it was Tuesday night. They come back Monday. So when we were talking about timeline about me coming, uh, we couldn't announce until after a certain date. And so uh, they said, all right, so this is how it's going to go. We'll uh, announce you on the 7th. And I said, okay, that sounds good. And then they said, um, and then you're preaching on the 14th because we're in Indonesia. <laughs> and I'm like, is this the way it's going to be rolling like the whole time I'm there? It's like, I'm not sure. So, uh, so anyways, it was supposed to be like a week of transition. But hey, man, we got to be servants for the gospel, right? So it's a privilege. I just want to say it's a privilege to be talking about Jesus up here today uh, with, with us as a, a, a crosswalk community. Um, and I just want to say uh, last week, so many of you just connected with us at the, at the block party, which was so awesome. Uh, so many of you were just so kind and came up and introduced yourself and just, uh, we were just blessed. I just want to say that. So, um, but here we are today and I do want to encourage you being that this is our last uh, Saturday on uh, mental health and the series Unbroken. We do have, as Bryant mentioned, uh, there is a table out in the courtyard. My wife is there and uh, Janice is there um, and they're there to answer any questions you might have on mental health. Uh, for yourself, for your family members, for your friends, for whatever it might be. You probably got a lot of coworkers you have questions about, right? Just, just saying, I don't know. Um, but they're there to also talk about resources. And let me tell you, those two people can answer all your questions because Janice is director of inpatient and my wife is director of outpatient. So they can pretty much answer anything you have. So you got a couple great resources and those two ladies out there today. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, and then one last thing I want to do is um, Tim texted me uh, from Indonesia and he said, hey, let's, let's take a moment to pray for what's going on in the Middle East. And I appreciate his leadership in that. And so what I want to do this morning is I'm just going to ask us to have a moment of silence and a moment of silent prayer, and then I will just pray at the end. So would you just do that at this time? Jesus, we just come to you with heavy hearts for what's happening in our world, the lack of peace, 
the deaths, the tragedies, the violence. Lord, we need your intervention. And while we don't understand it all and we can't, we don't know how to fix it outside of you and your kingdom coming, Lord, we pray that in a supernatural way your kingdom would come and your will would be done there in the Middle East and that there would be peace, as you say, beyond all understanding. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, uh, this is the last one in the series. I like how I'm the new guy and I get to close the series out. <laughs> but I'll take it. I'll take it. I want to start by saying, first of all, I want to remind us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, this world doesn't do a good job at reminding you of how fearfully and wonderfully made you are. But, but the scriptures remind us that you were created in a way that you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. And at the same time, we are very complex creatures. It's like we're simple in the sense of when you go back to creation and you look and say, well, God took the dust of the ground and he breathed, the Hebrew word is ruach, he breathed, which is the same word for spirit, into the dust and created a living soul. So it's simple and yet complex. But when you look at how we are made up, you know, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, and socially, we're, we're complex. I had gotten into a discussion one time with a colleague of mine several years ago, and I was younger. I was in my, I was in my uh, early 30s. Just My son was just born, and um, we were talking about emotions and feelings, and, and he goes, well, you can't have two emotions at the same time. He says, you know, you, you can't be happy and sad at the same time. You can't be mad and glad at the same time. And I'm like, of course you can and he goes, no, you can't. That's impossible. And I said, well, let me, let me just put it this way. My son was just born. I am happy. My dad just died. I'm sad. I'm happy and I'm sad. And he goes, oh, I guess you can be. <laughs> Both of those at the same time. I'm like, yes. And I share that because we can feel completely opposite emotions at the same time because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We were complex uh, in those ways. And so I want to just remind us of that as we talk about mental health and as we're going to look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, those are things to take into consideration because I have found in my time as a pastor and just personally that we are not really good at giving grace to ourselves. Have you noticed that maybe about yourself? We're not really good at giving grace to ourselves. Sometimes we're pretty good at giving grace to others and trying to understand, but we're not really good at giving grace to ourselves. And when it comes to the area of mental health, that's really important. It's really important that you remember we are but dust and we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we are complex creatures. And so give yourself a little grace in this. I want to share just a little bit. I'm not going to get into all the deep, deep, dark stuff of my mental health journey, but I just want to say that um, I had wonderful parents Parents that modeled for me how to love God, how to be in a relationship with God, who taught me how to serve, uh, all kinds of wonderful things, and, and I was loved. At the same time, I'll also say there are no perfect parents, right? So again, this is a place, parents, where you give grace to yourself, okay? Because there are no perfect parents. We don't get through life without any wounds or hurts, and sometimes they come from the people that, that we're closest to and that we love the most and that love us the most. And so I would just say that in the midst of my parents loving me pretty well, there was also some wounds involved. And so I began to develop, um, I began to, to do what you call um, uh, abandonment uh, issues. I developed abandonment issues. 
And in that, that kind of started working itself out uh, over time. And the way that worked out in my childhood and in my young years and my young adult years was that basically, if I could be the best at everything, then nobody would reject me. And so for me as a child, I realized when I was doing some work with a therapist, I realized for, as a child, I rarely played. I practiced. I practiced more than I played because I was always preparing for something, you know, to get picked on the team or to be the best for this. And I remember when, when I started dating my wife at, the year, at 18 years of age, she's like, why do you always have to try to be the best at everything? Can't you just enjoy it? And I said, no. <laughs> it's like, why would you even want to do it if you can't be the best? That's how crazy I was, Right? Abandonment issues. Well, I got into my early 30s, and um, when I got into my early 30s, let me just say it started to fall apart. It started to break down. And what happened was I, I, I went to see, finally see a therapist. Now, I told you my wife's a therapist, and I've been in therapy for 36 years. Obviously, that's kind of a joke, but sort of, sort of real at the same time. Um, but she's like, okay, you can't just keep telling me you need to go see somebody. Like, go see somebody who can be completely objective because my heart's too much in this. So I went to go see somebody, and uh, they told me something that just made sense to me, at least to get me started on the journey. They said, John, here's the problem. Here's part of the problem. The problem is your body at your age doesn't produce the adrenaline like it used to. And so because you don't have the adrenaline to fight this stuff off and to keep working harder and harder and harder, now you're having to deal with it. And let me tell you, as you get older, there's less adrenaline. <laughs> so you better be real. You better start dealing with the stuff. So that was a real eye-opening for me. Just, just biologically speaking, it wasn't just a, a mental thing. It was, it was a physiological thing that I'd been you know, running on adrenaline, which kept me from processing things because I could just work harder and try harder and work harder and just go, 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 until finally you couldn't do that. Like the heart and the mind finally had to start to catch up. And so that was part of my journey. And I just want to say to some of you today, um, I'm just going to put a little plug in there. If you aren't seeing a counselor and you think it would be a good idea for you to, don't wait any longer. Just do it. Okay? Now, if you're not seeing a counselor and you say, I absolutely don't need a counselor, then you're probably in denial. All right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sort of. Um, but you know what you should do? You should ask the people who know you well. And if they love you, they'll tell you. If they're scared of you, they won't tell you, all right? But with that said, I just want to say a $20 copay is the best $20 I ever spent in my life, okay? So just, just think about that. Just, just keep that in mind. I know this, this, we're not in the passage yet, but I just want to put that in there because hopefully for some of us here today online or in person, today might be the day you start getting help. And let me tell you, when you do, it's amazing. It's amazing. You will experience God in ways you never imagined because the defenses start coming down and the surrender begins to happen in such beautiful ways of allowing God to be present uh, in our lives. But let's get to the passage uh, today in Matthew 26, and it's Jesus in Gethsemane. And if you're familiar with this passage, Jesus is very overwhelmed, to put it lightly. We're going to get into the depths here. But He's in Gethsemane, he's on his way to the cross, he's already had the time in the upper room with his disciples and etc. and he's washed their feet, and now he's in Gethsemane. This is where he's going to go on, he's going to be betrayed by Judas, and then he's going to be tried by the religious leaders and the, the political leaders, and he'll eventually make it to the cross. So we're very close to that point, and he goes to the garden, and I want to remind you that the garden of Gethsemane was a place that he went to regularly, the scripture says, with his disciples. 
It's a place they went regularly for prayer. It's a place they went regularly for, for him to teach them, for them to be together. And so he goes there at this time. And I want to read the scripture here. You can join me. And it says, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. I just want to pause right there because it's really easy to go over and say, yeah, Jesus was having a rough day. But that's not what it says. It says he was anguished and distressed. If you were to do a study on those two words, and look at the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, you would see that those two words, anguished and distressed, are words for anxiety and depression. Jesus was feeling those two things at the same time. He was depressed and anxious at the same time. Now, I know that sounds strange. I mean, Jesus experienced anxiety. Jesus experienced depression. What, how on earth? But it can happen. And remember, he was fully human and he was fully divine. And part of the, one of the beautiful things about Jesus is that he fully experienced our humanity, fully experienced what we go through. And so he was anguished and distressed. The scripture goes on and he says, he told them, now listen to this, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. It gets better. Stay here and keep watch with me. My soul is crushed to the point of death. So anxious, there's anxiety, there's depression, and my soul is crushed to the point of death. I was talking to my wife as I was preparing this sermon, and I said, honey, if, if I was your client, and I came to you, and you experienced such severe anxiety and such severe depression, and I said, my soul is crushed to the point of death, what would you, what would you do? She goes, I would, uh, I would put you in inpatient. I would admit you into inpatient. Now, this, this blows my mind. Just let it blow your mind that Jesus was so anxious and so depressed and feeling so crushed to the point of death that he would have been admitted at the BMC. That's hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? It's hard to wrap our minds around because we think, well, hey, like that's sin. Is that sin? Feelings aren't sin. They are. We have a saying in our house. You may have heard parts of it. It is what it is. It ain't what it wasn't, and it takes what it takes. <laughs> it is what it is, it ain't what it wasn't, and it takes what it takes. It just is. It just is. Sometimes when we're anxious or we're depressed, we don't have to figure it all out, because sometimes we think if we can figure it out, it'll go away. But sometimes it is, and sometimes it's beyond just a situation. It might be chemically related. It might be part of how we're wired in our DNA, part of who we are, and that's a whole nother thing. But here is Jesus, and he's feeling this. And yet, I want to go on with the scripture, and then I want to unpack this a little bit more, all right? It says that he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I want you to pay attention to this prayer because the second prayer is slightly different. Notice this, notice this prayer. He says, my father, he's intimate. One of the other gospels says, Abba, my daddy, intimate. My father, it is, is it, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. So he wants it to be taken away. But notice the intimacy still. Again, another gospel says, Abba, which is daddy. 
There's this closeness, even though he's suffering, all right? The next verse goes on and it says, Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And he goes on and says, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, now pay attention to this prayer, if this cup cannot be taken away, Unless I drink it, your will be done. You notice the difference? First prayer, he's coming up saying, Father, I don't want this. I really don't want to do this. Please, if it's possible, according to your will, take it away. Second time, I like to refer to this as the moment of surrender. Now, I think Jesus had been surrendering all along, but we get to this point where he says, My father, my daddy, if this cup cannot be taken away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. There's the surrender of resting in his father's reign. Trusting the ability and the competence of his father to know that whatever the father wants, that is the best. That's why I love when Jesus in another area of the gospel says, I don't do anything I don't see my father doing and I don't say anything I don't hear my father saying. And finally, Matthew goes on and he says, when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. Some of us can relate to that, right? So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. And then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And so we see Jesus in this anguish and distressed, soul crushed to the point of death and isolated and alone because the people he brought with him were sleeping they couldn't even like hang with him in this. I want to share with you that the word Gethsemane, we know it's an olive orchard, but the word Gethsemane actually means oil press. And here Jesus was in, in a sense, the oil press. He was being pressed. He was being squeezed because he was here to save us and to reconcile humanity with God. And so he was overwhelmed, anguished, distressed, crushed to the point of death, and I want to remind us of this as well. You may not be aware of this, but theologians call this basically the tale of two gardens. So what's happening here is in, uh, is in contrast to what happened in the Garden of Eden. You see, the book of Romans talks about Adam being the first Adam, the first man, and Jesus being the second Adam, second man. And while Adam sinned in the original garden, Jesus has come to make things right and to put things back to right again. And so here he is making sure that he does not fall like Adam did, but he is going to be obedient to God. He's going to follow through on the will of God, and there will be new creation as a result. And so Jesus is correcting what happened in the garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I want to talk about one of the phrases that you might hear me say from time to time while I'm here is, let's take a look at what's going on under the hood. All right? Sometimes in my years of pastoring, uh, people will come to me and they'll talk about maybe an addiction they have or, or something that's going on. And I'll say, okay, that seems like the problem, but that's not the problem. We need to discover what's going on under the hood that's driving the problem. We need to figure out why you're self-medicating. Why are you doing those things? Because there's something going on under the hood. And once we get to what's going on under the hood, that's going to fade away. And so what's going on under the hood? I wanna, so as I looked at this passage, I said, man, I really want to consider what's going on under the hood for Jesus. 
What's going on under the hood with all these emotions and all, this, all that's going on with him? What is happening? And so I think it's essential that we remember one of the things that's going on under the hood, why Jesus was having all these really strong emotions and feelings. Notice in the passage, he is still very connected to the Father. The Father did not leave him. The Father did not abandon him. He was very connected to the Father. And again, while Matthew doesn't say it, I believe it's Luke that says it, he says, Abba, Daddy. There was that intimacy there. And we must remember that leading up to this passage, if you were to read the Gospels, all of Jesus' teachings, his time in the upper room, talking about the vine and the branches, his time of talking about he put on the servant's towel because he knew where he came from and where he was going, all those different things. John 17, when he prayed that the Father's in me and I'm in the Father and we, I want them to be like us, one. And, and all of those things of John 14 and 16 about sending the comforter and the Holy Spirit, all those things are still there. So we must remember that Jesus was very connected to the Father while experiencing all these feelings and emotions, even though there was such anguish and pain. He knew and experienced the Father's reign over his life as he was beginning to feel the severe weight of the sins of the world to redeem humanity. And we must also remember that Jesus, while he was human was a whole person. And sometimes we forget that we are a whole person. Or I'd like to say like the world out there tries to help us forget that we're a whole person. The world out there, in my opinion, tries to convince us that we are just physical creatures. There's not a lot of difference between us and animals. But we are. We're a whole person. We are spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, and social. We are complex. And with that, Jesus was also a whole person. He was fully human, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, and socially. So I thought, what was it like for Jesus as a whole person? Spiritually, we saw him. He was submitting to his father. Not my will, but your will. But he was interacting with him. Physically, he was anguished. One of the other gospels says he was sweating like drops of blood. So the body was breaking down in ways I don't even understand. Mentally and emotionally, we know what he was feeling. He said it himself. And socially, he was isolated. He brought the three guys he thought he could trust the most, that he's poured into the most, and they fell asleep all while he was there, completely isolated and alone. So these things were going on under the hood, his deep connection with the Father, and at the same time being fully human, that whole person, what I like to call whole person filter, experience. But what kept him so connected to the Father? That's what I want us to talk about. Because where I want to hone in a bit is that I want us to understand and to enjoy the reality of the fact that no matter what we feel and experience in this life, no matter what we go through in the area of mental health, that never, never impacts the love that God has for us. It never impacts how close God is to us. And... We can, like Jesus, do certain things to grow in having a deep relationship with God that we can connect with God. Remember he said his desire was that we would be in him and he in us just like the Father was in him and he in the Father. And so even though I might be feeling anxiety, I might be feeling depression, I might be feeling all kinds of other things, I can still know that's what faith is. I can act on my belief that the Father will never leave me or forsake me. That Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. In fact, this is a sermon for another time, sometime, whenever Tim schedules me to preach. I'll preach this sometime. We never have to ask Jesus to be with us. Because he always promised to always be with us. In fact, I'll take it a step further. 
Not only is he with us, the good news of the gospel is that he's in us. That's why the Bible calls us the temple of God. Because Christ dwells in us. Now that's just, that, that still blows my mind no matter how much I think about that. But I want us to understand that just as Jesus experienced these severe emotions, strong emotions, he was still very much knowing the Father was present with him and he had this relationship. And the same is for us. Even though we feel and experience these strong emotions in the area of, of mental health, we can know that God is present and that God loves us and God will be with us and God will guide and direct as well. And so Jesus was very disciplined in this. I'd like to say that Jesus was a disciple of the Father. He's, that's why he said, I don't say anything I don't hear the Father saying. I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. He was completely submitting to the Father. And the Father was teaching him. That's why he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's why he constantly did those types of things to, to hear from the Father, to learn from the Father, and be present with the Father in the world. And so those are the same things that, that Jesus invites us to. That's why he says those words, come follow me. Come follow me. That's why he says to get in the yoke with him. Come into the yoke and I will teach you. I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's calling us to be his disciple and to grow with him and in him. Now, Tim brought up something last week on the 20th celebration. He talked about mission drift. And it made me think about something I'd heard recently um, at, at our constituency session for Southeastern California Conference, the person doing the, the, the devotional talk that morning referenced this. I thought, oh, this is really good. I want to use this. And he re referenced the book Mission Drift. And Jesus did not drift from his mission because of his intimacy with the Father and because he was close to the source of all life and power. And I want to unpack that a little bit. I want to share a little bit from this book. It's called, the book is called Mission Drift. And the subtitle is The Unspoken Crisis Facing Leaders, Charities, and Churches. Okay, so that's the context of it. And this is what it says. In physics, a theory for drift exists. The second law of thermodynamics states that in the natural order of the universe, things degenerate rather than come together. It goes on. Now, I don't know anything about thermodynamics, but I'm just going to read it, okay, <laughs> and, and trust it. For example, when a frying pan is taken off the stove, heat diffuses in the air, leaving the pan cooler. Well, that makes sense to me, okay? Unless heat is added or someone puts the frying pan back on the stove, it will cool and settle back to the room temperature. Now, that makes sense. What we see in science and the kitchen, we found to be the norm within organizations, and let's say churches as well, and leaders. Here's the reality. Mission drift is the natural course for organizations. It's saying it's natural. It's kind of scary. And they go on, and I love, this is the last part I want us to really hone in on. And it takes focused attention to safeguard against it. Once an organization ignores its source of heat, drift is only a matter of time. Jesus, his whole life on this planet, never ignored his source of heat, which was the Father. Never. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Olive Press, he could be going through all of that anxiety and depression, but he had lived his life disciplined, living life at the source of heat, which was his Father. So when he came across those times, he was still grounded to his source of heat, his source of life, his Father. 
and interacted with him. And that's why Jesus calls us to come and to live at his feet. He is our source of heat. And so no matter what we're going through, if we are disciplined of just living life at the feet of Jesus, we can go through all kinds of things. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it's a lot better with Jesus than not with Jesus. I'll tell you that. And so Jesus was very disciplined and he invites us to be a disciple of his as well. Jesus was rooted and grounded in his relationship with the Father, and he calls us to be rooted and grounded in a relationship with him. Jesus put it this way. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. If you accept me as your Lord and Savior, the kingdom of God is within you. It's more than forgiveness of sins. It's lordship of Jesus Christ. It's choosing to believe that I'm horrible at ruling my own life at governing my life, and I want Jesus to have complete control and to reign over my life. If that happens, the kingdom of God is within us. And you see, the kingdom of God is within people, not buildings. So before you came here, the kingdom of God was not here waiting for you. You brought the kingdom of God with you. That's why when you go to work, you go to play, and you go to school, the kingdom of God is out and about, encouraging people to come into the kingdom. And so we want to be deeply rooted in the kingdom. That means we can feel everything. Again, anxiety, depression, we can feel everything and we can still be rooted and grounded in the kingdom of God, even with mental health struggles. So with that, I want to say, I want to address this normalcy thing. And, but what is normal anymore, right? What is normal? Well, it's important for us to ask that question because I want us to think about what Jesus thinks is normal. Because this plays a big part into what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, to Jesus, normalcy was the kingdom of God. You and I were created to live in the kingdom of God forever. Sin messed that up. That's not normal to God. But in the world, there's a lot of things that don't look like the kingdom of God that feel very normal. And Jesus came to reveal to us, that's why when Jesus came, he came preaching and saying, the kingdom of God is here. Enter in. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. That's why the Gospels say he went about preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. Because now people could enter back in again through grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And so we need to understand that what is normal is the kingdom of God and it's within us. And that's what was normal to Jesus was the kingdom of God. His kingdom and not this world. And so the reason I'm saying this is because when we face these struggles in the area of mental health, we need to remember that the things we're feeling, while they don't feel normal to the world, it appears abnormal, know that in the kingdom of God, you are loved and accepted. Know that in the kingdom of God, everybody who's in the kingdom of God has issues. Can we just say that? Everybody who is in the kingdom of God has issues. Those outside and those inside, everybody has issues. And Jesus knows that. That's why he went to the cross. And that's why he said, I love you and accept you as you are. Come in to my kingdom. I also want to say that what is normal is the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of God, and the mercies that he gives. See, those are all normal in the kingdom. In the world, that's abnormal. Why would you show that person grace? Why would you forgive that person? Right? In the kingdom of God, Jesus says, why wouldn't you forgive that person? Why wouldn't you show mercy? Why wouldn't you show grace? That's normal in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus lived in this reality of the kingdom and he invites us to live in that kingdom so that no matter what happens, we are grounded in his kingdom and in his love 
in that. I want to say for some of us today, the struggle is very, very real in the area of mental health. It's hard and it's difficult. And sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's hourly, sometimes it's by the minute. And I, there's a song, uh, I can't remember the title, but it's a song by a group called Switchfoot. And I love the phrase that says, every breath is a second chance. And sometimes that's what it comes down to for some of us who struggle with mental health. Every breath is a second chance. And can I just say, I'm, I just want to say today to those who are here today. Now, statistics say that there's about 25 to 30% who struggle with mental health. If we have, we have, clo- we, I, mm, I think we have over 500, between 500 and 600. Let's just, because I'm bad with math. Let's say we have 600. That means that at least about 250 of us here are struggling with mental health. And those are just the ones who said it on a survey and studies. So the other ones who haven't, there's probably more, right? Can I just say for those of us here today and those online who struggle with mental health, you are some of the most courageous people I know on the planet some of the most courageous. And I want you to hear that because oftentimes people who struggle with mental health feel like they only have weakness. But it's not because you face it and you battle it and you are so courageous. And I just want you to hear that today. I want to um, see if I could get this to change for me. (laughs) Um, I want us to remember that Jesus, again, will never, ever leave us alone even when we are depressed and anxious and struggling. And there's this passage that I love in Romans chapter eight, and it says this, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. Paul goes on and says, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Well, so Jesus and a therapist and a pastor walked into a cafe. There was a point, like I said before, where myself and Jesus and a therapist got together and Jesus started bringing some healing into my life and um, I want to share some things with you. My problem is my first time preaching here, there's so much I wanted to say, and I've already gone over, but I'll just say them quickly. I want to encourage you. I said we were complex. Um, A therapist taught me this. These are our core emotions, mad, sad, glad, fearful, and hurt. And he said, take time to do inventory on those things. You don't have to spend a long time, but just every once in a while sit down and go, what am I mad about? What am I sad about? Glad, happy. What am I uh, fearful about? And then at the bottom, usually it's hurt. And I found when I began to do that, I began to really understand what was going on under the hood, and I realized how specifically I could surrender things to Jesus. Because I might have been angry or frustrated, I didn't know why, but when I got to the hurt, I was like, there it is. That's why I'm upset. That's why I'm fearful, or whatever it is. Then I could surrender the hurt, then I could surrender those things specifically, and it made a world of difference. The other thing that I, I wanted to share with you is that, again, we are whole persons, so spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, and socially. Another exercise I like to do and I encourage other people to do is to present yourself to God in those areas. And it looks like this. Jesus, here I am spiritually. What's on your heart for me? And just listen. Jesus, here I am physically or here I am mentally, emotionally, here I am socially. What's on your heart for me? Now, I shared this with a, a group online. I was doing a discipleship class online, and one of the participants was 83 years old. 
And she said, uh, they came back the next week to share the exercise and what happened. And she said this. She said, she said, it was amazing. She said, I sat there in my chair and I said to Jesus, I said, Jesus, here I am spiritually. What's on your heart for me? What do you desire for me? Now listen, remember, she's 83 years old. She said, she heard Jesus say, forgive your mother. 83 years and she hadn't forgiven her mother for what had happened in her childhood. And she said, I have struggled to forgive my mother for 83 years. And there I sat with Jesus and said, what's on your heart for me? And he said, forgive your mother. And I forgave her. And she says, it feels amazing, amazing. Because of the surrender and asking Jesus what's on her heart. I wanna read to you, uh, I'm gonna skip through some of these slides uh, that I wanted to do, but I wanna get to the last passage. Thanks for your patience with me as I learned this system going through this. But here's what we say, Hebrews 4. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Isn't God good? Know that no matter what you're going through, especially in the area of mental health, that does not shake the kingdom of God in your life but that your Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, are with you always. And I encourage us to lean into our relationship with Jesus so that we can grow in our intimacy with him as well and say, Daddy, I'm struggling. Daddy, if there's any way this could pass, but your will be done. And he is always with us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you did and what you're doing. It's all way beyond us to fully grasp and understand. But I thank you for your word that clearly spells out to us what took place and who you are and who the Father is. So we thank you that in coming to this earth, you fully took on our humanity in every way and you fully took on who you were as divine God. So thank you for feeling everything that we feel and showing us what it's like to go through those things and trust the Father. And Jesus, I pray for people here online and people in the room today who might really be just going through a rough time in the area of mental health. I pray, Lord, that you would open doors that no one can shut and shut doors that no one can open for them to get help. Give them the grace to reach out to a counselor, to a therapist, to get help. Lord, maybe just to take their medication, whatever it is. Jesus, And may they also know that if they don't know where to start, we are here to help them. Would you take a moment now just in silent prayer, just a moment in silent prayer to talk to Jesus, share whatever's on your heart, or to be still and to listen.